0: hello and welcome to an all new episode of close talking the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast i am your co-host Connor mcnamara stratton
1: and i am your other co-host jack rossiter Munley.
0: and we are back at you we just finished up poetry month we had a week of lovely short and some less short episodes When Eats is
1: in the house, how can you you stop yourself, you know?
0: I I got carried away. And um, we both did. And it happens. And it was lovely. But uh, now it's May. And we're back to our regular scheduled programming. With another wonderful poem. But this one is a deep, deep, deep cut. Brought to you... From probably the early 1600s, maybe the very, very late 1500s, but probably the early 1500 1600s. He would have oh, been... definitely the early 1600s. Yeah, there's no way he was. There's the no poem. way he was writing Say this that again. poem. Yeah, yeah. I'm not
1: gonna speculate about what Baby George Herbert, spoilers <laughs> for the poem,
0: we're doing was up to, but I don't think he was writing this specific poem. Could be wrong. You're right. Uh, As Jack mentioned, this poem is by George Herbert, who was born in 1593. So he would have been seven at 1600. So it definitely happened after that. And he is a wonderful poet who is considered part of the metaphysical poets, uh, of which John Donne is probably the most well known, who has such Rockstar hits as The Flea and his Holy Sonnets. Also, Andrew Marvel, who has his wonderful and highly problematic poem, To His Coy Mistress. I actually just learned the term metaphysical poets was used by Samuel Johnson and... The dictionary uh, guy? The dictionary guy and John Dryden the Augustine poets as an insult because they thought they were very unnatural. That's fascinating. Which is in some ways true that they there was some level of showy formal moves happening. Herbert has actually some of the earliest, at least that I know of, like concrete poetry. He has a poem called Easter Wings and it's shaped like, some wings (laughs) nice anyway but yeah he's a very interesting guy and he was a priest he was from a very wealthy family but he kind of gave most of it up and just was a rector at his parish and actually never saw basically any of his poems published and it's a hilarious and kind of sad story but before when he was on his deathbed, he gave like the bulk of his poems, which are like in this book called The Temple, of which the poem is that we're talking about. And he gave it to his friend and said that his friend should publish them if, quote, it might do good to any dejected poor soul. And thankfully his friend decided that it would do some good. Um, and his friend, gazing
1: upon the fallen world, decided we were all souls dejected and in need of sustenance, unleashing <laughs> the work of George Herbert upon us as a balm.
0: exactly. and he was ended up posthumously becoming very popular. The book was reprinted like many, many times over, and then him and the other this I didn't know also until recently john Donne and george herbert and marvel and the others um kind of like lost prominence for a while but t.s Eliot actually wrote an essay about the metaphysical poets and in the 1900s they kind of had a comeback um so anyway this one is called prayer he has i think at least two poems called prayer maybe three this is the first one and uh yeah let's get right into it prayer prayer the church's banquet angel's age god's breath in man returning to his birth the soul in paraphrase heart in pilgrimage the christian plummet sounding heaven and earth Engine against the Almighty, sinner's tower, reversed thunder, Christ's side piercing spear, the six days' world transposing in an hour. A kind of tune which all things hear and fear. Softness and peace and joy and love and bliss, exalted manna, gladness of the best, heaven in ordinary man, well-dressed the Milky Way, the bird of paradise, church bells beyond the stars heard, the soul's blood, the land of spices, something understood. Mm. I love this a lot.
1: Yeah, this is so cool. I know. Part of what strikes me in listening to it right now is um, how contemporary it feels like there are little, there are more signifiers on the page. I think of its age, like when you get to the end of the line engine against the almighty sinners tower, it's almighty T H apostrophe almighty sinners tower, T O W apostrophe R instead of ER. But other than those little elements, I feel like, Yeah. Just the way it approaches the subject of praying and prayer feels like a pretty contemporary reflection.
0: Yeah, I really agree. Um, yeah, no. And there's like a couple words like mana, which I feel like now you only see in like kind of, um, RPG fantasy context or something. Um, but otherwise magic, the gathering, (laughs) magic, the gathering. Yep. You need your mana. No, but I, I have found that to be one of the most sort of appealing parts of the poem because it was, you know, written more than probably around 400 years ago, I suppose, uh, give or take a few years. Yeah. And, you know, speaking for myself, you know, I am not a Christian. I do not, you know, I am a a uh, devout atheist personally but there's something about this poem that it's they're not really a narrative per se but to give kind of like we often do a little bit of a play-by-play play. Um, the poem is essentially just a list of, of different metaphors for prayer like what is prayer is the kind of question of the poem and then basically everything that follows is a different kind of like answer to that um so you know prayer is a church's banquet the soul in paraphrase a kind of tune softness and peace and joy all these things partly i just love the way it ends how it ends on like something understood it's such a it ends on like the most humble kind of thing i guess you know like it it's it. There are things that, you know, mentioned like, you know, reversed thunder, Christ's side piercing spear, uh, which is like a pretty kind of like epic grand idea of what prayer could be. Um, and certainly like some forms of, you know, expressions of faith, you know, like huge cathedrals or there's a kind of like grandness that's often trying to approach, you know, the the awesome power of God or whatever, but like to end on just like in the use of something, just like understanding something is like what prayer is to me. I find very beautiful and especially coming, you know, after all of these sort of attempts to describe it, you get the sense that because you have to, test out so many different metaphors for what prayer is like, it's obviously something that's hard to express. It's hard to pin down. And so to end on something understood is like reaching some kind of resolution. Maybe it's not understanding prayer, but it's some kind of understanding.
1: I really like that. Um, And that's definitely the direction I go as well because What I feel like is happening there at the end is, as you said, there are so many metaphors in here and all of them are like fascinating on their own and each probably deserves, you know, their own mini episode to like dig into Christ's side piercing spear, you know, like, well, number one, Christ is a, a humble iteration of god but it's also the mediation between the divine and the human fully god fully man but it's not just christ it's the spear that pierces him so yet another like uncouth and profane object piercing the sacred that is already mediating the divine and the human like there's so many different resonances there for what the the act of praying is all about because when you're praying you are trying to access the divine But ending on that something understood, it does away with the act of understanding in that moment, because it's just saying, well, it's something that you kind of get, you know, it's not trying to get to the specific after it's after the entire poem has been a little bit about investigating in that way, trying to put different descriptors. And even if there are a lot of them, it's sort of trying to triangulate between all of them, maybe they form a web or, so you know, those movies, where there's a laser grid and they like have to do a heist so they blow chalk in the air to show the laser grid i feel like the metaphors are that chalk and the laser grid is prayer and they're like (laughs) herbert's hoping by tossing all the chalk dust out there you might start seeing the sort of untouchable (laughs) contours of prayer you know oh man yes totally but at the end where all of this leads is like, even if you do throw the dust up and you see the laser grid, you still can't touch the lasers. What I feel like is happening at the end is reflecting on the fact that even if you engage in the act of prayer, whatever it means for you, it means that you, the person praying, understands something about the world and something about the necessity for doing your own Version of accessing the divine, and it may to you feel like any one of these metaphors that has come before, or it may feel like something totally different. But you understand something if you're going to engage in the act of prayer, you know that there is, you know, and again, like you, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a believer, I'm an atheist, but I do believe in a certain degree of faith. Like, I think there are things that I don't necessarily have proof of or feel like I can fully understand, but I am willing to believe in them, like the goodness of humanity or you know human potential. I'm willing to have faith in people and I'm willing to do that sometimes without great concrete evidence that I should. And I feel like there is an atheistic form of prayer that is also encompassed and that's something understood. There is like a spiritual non-deistic divinity that is going on there that 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 sentiment can encompass which is sort of where I get in there even if Herbert maybe wasn't thinking that way I know I am
0: <laughs> yeah no totally and i think you've you've teased out also one kind of tension that's in the poem which is in a lot of his poetry and a lot of the the poets of the time i think with the the metaphysical poets which is this kind of like the profane and the divine And um, we've talked about it a few times on the podcast. Um, I think with I's poem, it's interesting because on the one hand, it's sort of for Herbert and and others, it's kind of like uh, an actual concern with their faith, which is like, how do we as Christians access the divine when we are but, you know, mortal bodily people? And then it's also kind of like somewhat of a formal question where, or at least like a a question of poetics, at least the way that I think of it. And I think to some extent it works in this poem where it's like the poem is trying to express something unexpressible. What is prayer? Um, And many poems are trying to get at something that can't really be put in words and so it approaches this kind of like what the the object of expression is not always like sort of divine in a a godly sense but is in the the kind of the realm outside you know the body it sort of by definition and yet all we have are you know words and images and references to the physical world to get there And, you know, you can kind of see that in this poem, a lot of the images rely on that tension, I think. You know, there's some obvious versions where it's like heaven in ordinary, where you have just like ordinary heaven or like heaven in the everyday kind of thing. And then you have, you know, like the church's banquet or angel's age, you know, or God's breath in man returning to his birth like the age of an angel to like think about to put those two together you know like how can you have a uh, an age which is such a material measurement for some like you know so divine and whatever and timeless as an angel then there's also kind of things that are other worldly less in a divine sense but you know you have the milky way or um you know church bells beyond the stars heard so you have your your normal church bells but then you know it's kind of like the heavens are often like the sky and the heavens is a is a metaphor as old as time and in that image it's like past the stars you hear the church bells you know which are the the bells are the kind of the human profane kind of expression yeah i don't know and i just i just wanted to i like that you brought that up and i just wanted to kind of um point out a few different ways that that's coming up
1: absolutely and especially that line that you pulled out church bells beyond the stars heard the soul's blood is such a hard turn from this ethereal, far-out space. And I guess you could see it as a little bit of a transition because the soul is itself this unquantifiable, you know, you could see it as ethereal or whatever, like, component of being. But the soul's blood hangs together so tightly as an idea. I just find that that takes me from, like, I'm in the stars and there are celestial bells ringing and there's this far off church somewhere beyond a nebula that's like something special like crystalline tingling atmosphere of an alien planet that's you know whatever and then (laughs) the soul's blood even though it's soul like that's just so immediately grounding and visceral and real as a contrast that you're just pulled right back in i find the journey that i go on in that line to be Pretty, uh, pretty intense and pretty far-reaching. It actually reminds me some of the uh, imagery that Luis Rodriguez uses in his poems, who I know we talked about his poem Cinco de Mayo, but it reminds me of the kind of of imagery that he pulls out, which uh, we also discussed in that, how often he's able to go to the well of imagery that intense and pull it off, which is, is hard to do. But here I just find that when I, I read something like The Soul's Blood, he's got a lot of poems that kind of work on that level of intensity and i think that's another part of this that feels contemporary to my ear as i hear it at least in my experience of reading a lot of older poetry uh rarely do you get poets who just come out and say things like that or at least not in in that way quite
0: yeah totally i i really think that's a good point um and yeah soul's blood is so both of the soul phrases are so good like Soul's blood is is so visceral, but then soul the soul in paraphrase, like that's to me that's like the closest he gets in some kind of way to being like this is what prayer is. Um, that's the line
1: that stays with me from this poem.
0: Yeah, soul, just, the soul in paraphrase.
1: Yeah, heart and it, pilgrimage. That feels like where he comes the closest to what he really wants
0: to to say about prayer. And that one still feels, like, so fresh. Like, I feel like there's, especially with certain people like Shakespeare, their works have become so ubiquitous that, like, you know, like, he came up with wearing your heart on your sleeve kind of thing. And, like, now when you say that, it's become a, it's a cliche, but Star-crossed lovers. Exactly. And so sometimes it's a little hard to, like, appreciate those aspects of Shakespeare because he, he was too successful, but soul in paraphrase is just one of those things that I feel like still feels like, Oh, I don't actually think I've really encountered that idea before. And it's just such a lovely juxtaposition of two things and like paraphrase. I, it's not a word of poetry that I would <laughs> immediately go
1: to this comes up for me with the, the musician Warren Zevon. He's got words in his songs that are like really sideways words for rock (laughs) songs, like Naga Hide Devan comes in, you know, just like, and they, and they work in context. Like he's, he's done a good job, you know, it kind of all flows together, whatever, but you're like, not like not just Devan in a rock song, but Naga Hide Devan, like, dude, what's up with that? And I feel like, I don't notice it quite that much here, but you're so right. Paraphrase is really an odd thing to put in a poem. It's a very unpoetic word. It's such a descriptive, like, grammatical term. Like, what are you thinking? And it works so beautifully.
0: Yeah, it really does work so, so beautifully. Um, Because it's, you know, going back to the kind of profane divine thing, like, it's both profane and, like, material in what it's describing, Um, you know, just like, it's a kind of language that's mimicking, but it's also the, le- the word itself is, you know, a less like soul and God are, are the holy words. Right. Um, and like paraphrase is like the tonally, it's also kind of profane. And so I think like, I don't know that, that I feel like that's also like one reason why it works so well. So the one big Or I was kind of like, why does it sound so contemporary? And I think we pointed out like a lot of those reasons. The other thing, and this is not like my observation, is it kind of lacks a main verb. So it's just like, it's not prayer is the church's banquet is the angel's age kind of thing. Um, It's just prayer, the church's banquet angel's age and then it's just this list um, that's
1: so real wow i didn't even think of that because it flows so naturally but you're that gives it such a contemporary syntax
0: yeah yeah because i because i think like especially there are certain parts you know like church bells beyond the stars heard so like the the way that heard is at the end is kind of older and like i feel like where things start to feel older is a lot of this is where the syntax is sort of like the order is so strange or you know something like that and I, i think that because it's this list form and the list has sort of remained such a common structure for both poetry and also just like regular language that it it retains that like kind of natural seemingness I think and not that he was like trying to do that but it is one of those interesting things where it a lot of that probably is just
1: completely unintentional but it works so well
0: yeah yeah and I I think it also it, it does serve like in some ways it's obvious but like it helps to lack the verb and to have the list because then the poem can kind of accumulate like more like it's accumulating rather than like having a lot of directions, like this is doing that. And then this is doing that. It's sort of without by removing the verb, he kind of lets the sort of static like noun metaphor things sort of, this is like making it sound really bad, but like, plunk along. And then those just like sort of sitting there are like what provide the energy, I guess. Um, And the, the images aren't static, but they're not like moving per se, if that makes sense.
1: Um, Yeah. In the way it does that, it reminds me a little bit of medical history, the Nicole Seeley poem that we talked about Yeah. in the way that that poem builds, it feels like a similar kind of list building, Happens in this poem because, again, like that is also an instance where it's a lot of otherwise uh, what would be pretty dry medical stuff. Like, I have taken Xanax, I have been pregnant, Um, but because of how it constructs it, it turns it into something else. And here there's a lot more uh you know figurative language going on, and it 's a lot more you know metaphorical description happening. but as you were saying, the pieces kind of sit next to each other, and it is in the sitting next to each other that they build to what the poem wants
0: exactly no that's really right that's a really good comparison. The kind of other part that like one danger of kind of having a list is. Uh, like having a kind of dynamic structure that's not just like this, then this, then this kind of thing. And I feel like, so this poem is a sonnet. You know, it's 14 lines and there's, you know, the rhyme scheme, Angel's Age rhymes with pilgrimage. Earth rhymes with birth. Tower rhymes with hour, spear, and fear. And then after the eighth line, you get the kind of, This you cannot appreciate purely uh, over the podcast, but there's only two semicolons in the poem. It's like a bunch of commas, obviously, for the list. And the first one comes where the volta or the turn of the poem would traditionally come in the sonnet. So it's like um, a kind of tune which all things hear and fear and then semicolon. And then the last semicolon comes in the very last line, the land of spices, semicolon, something understood. Anyway, I I think that, you know, the sonnet is sort of, it helps sort of direct the poem a little bit. And the way that Herbert, you know, after the turn, you get this kind of like softness and peace and joy and love and bliss um, is sort of the first one. And that's kind of like, The only time that you have, like, those aren't even really metaphors, I guess. They're just kind of, like, words to describe it, you know? Like, I mean, I guess peace is a little bit of a metaphor, but it's, like, joy and bliss um, aren't the same kind of, like, imagistic metaphors as, say, like, church's banquet or something. And there's, like, five of them in one line. And so I think it, it creates a kind of different momentum. It also, I think, you know, changes the like the mood of it, because in the first one, in a way, we kind of start where we end, perhaps where we have like prayer, the church's banquet, angels age, like the soul and paraphrase, heart and pilgrimage. But then we get into this kind of intense, like, I don't know, fire, almost like fire brimstone kind of vibe where it's like the Christian plummet sounding heaven and earth engine against the almighty sinner's tower, reversed thunder Christ side piercing spear, which is like, Whoa, I don't know. There's just that kind of brimstone energy a bit there. And that's a real tonal shift, but then we get kind of like a move, sort of back the six days world transposing in an hour a kind of tune which all things hear and fear to end the kind of eight lines and i feel like we kind of move away for good after that from the kind of i don't know scary thunderous (laughs) christian prayer i guess yeah and and i i think like with the softness and peace and joy and love and bliss, like all of those together really like, I don't know, sets you up for where he wants you to go. And, you know, it's like gladness of the best, heaven in ordinary, man well-dressed. Maybe you get a little bit of it back in the soul's blood as you were kind of talking about. But from a craft point of view, without a narrative through line, you need to kind of direct the poem in a dynamic way with your lists. And I think that he uses the sonnet structure to great effect to do that by kind of like building to something in the, in the beginning um, and introducing, you know, like really tonally different metaphors. That's like the other big thing where you have, some that are if it was all like peace and bliss and stuff it wouldn't be that interesting like we need the the reversed thunder (laughs) and i think those two things like the tonally different metaphors and the the sonnet structure kind of like guiding it to the end like really help the poem like land so that by the end you're just like wow something understood I totally agree about the structure
1: being a really handy uh, sort of engine running through the poem because it lets you know a little bit like what to expect and what's coming and it keeps you moving and it lets you know this is only 14 lines so wherever you are. It's sort of like when somebody at the beginning of a speech is like I have 10 points to make about this and in your head you're ticking off like 10, 9, 8, like how many more do we have to go? And that can either be really effective when it's a good speech and you're like, damn, I wish it was 12 points. Or it's like, <laughs> okay, it's been an hour and we're on number four. I feel like this is a poem where I really like that the structure has 14 lines because as soon as I get to about the sixth or seventh line and we're like, reverse thunder, Christ's side piercing spear, like number one, oh, where do we go from here? Because if you're building tension and like working up to something, I feel like we're already there. But then obviously it's got more places to go and layers are added and there's more sort of texture nuance and complexity put on after that point. Um, but you're also so right about the, the necessary drama of something like reversed thunder or actually naming Christ and the moment of his, you know, being pierced by the spear, like these really high moments of drama. And it makes me think of why I like an author like Flannery O'Connor, because her stories are dramatic on their own, but the extra textual knowledge about her own relationship to faith means that you know when she's writing those stories that the stakes for her in all of them are some version of salvation and damnation. And so you get this whole other layer of what's going on in the stories where you understand that because of her faith, the stakes are eternal. And I think that what those moments of drama do is, inject those eternal stakes into the question of like what's that prayer thing all about and there's one level on which you can intellectually think about what is prayer or you can artistically try and describe what is prayer but unless you're taking the activity seriously on its own terms of trying to access the divine on your personal behalf or to try and influence the divine without that you're like kind of not taking the enterprise in the way that you need to. Um, And I I really appreciate how that is peppered in, particularly towards the beginning of the poem, because that's where you get the mention of God and Christ and Christian plummet. That's all right in that top, like six or seven lines. And as it moves on, sure, you get mentions of churches and the soul's blood does come in again later for some drama, but you're not name checking Divine entities in the same way, uh, you know, <laughs> right. which I appreciate.
0: Yeah, that I agree completely. That's a really good point. Should we read it again?
1: Well, I think we should note that uh, American philosopher Jim Morrison at the beginning of the self-indulgent monstrous. Well, it's not compared to some of their other songs, but. Definitely one of the most self-indulgent entries in the Doors catalog. The soft parade begins by shouting into a microphone, Back when I was in seminary school, a man said that you could petition the Lord with prayer. (laughs) Petition the Lord with prayer. And then there's a pause, and then he screams... cannot petition the lord with prayer and uh i feel like george herbert got it right the first time and the door should have left well enough alone (laughs) that doesn't have to go in the podcast i just needed you to know
0: that's great wow i I prefer the part
1: later in the song where kind of apropos of nothing he says (laughs) cobra on my left leopard on my right Because he was a weird dude who did a lot of drugs. I feel like the fact that John Mulaney hasn't talked much about the doors in his stand-up is an oversight. Seems like the sort of thing you'd really get down with.
0: Yeah, that's really true. That's really true. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, they would. I don't think Herbert and Jim Morrison would have been friends. I think that's definitely true.
1: Probably not though. I'm willing to bet that Jim Morrison at some point would have read George Herbert's poetry. He really liked poetry. I believe it. And he was decently well-read as far as I know. Anyway, I think we should
0: read it again. Yes. All right. Let's now that we've had that. (laughs) Uh, Let's read it again. All right. Prayer by George Herbert. Prayer, the church's banquet, angels age, God's breath in man returning to his birth, the soul in paraphrase, heart in pilgrimage, the Christian plummet sounding heaven and earth, engine against the Almighty, sinner's tower, reversed thunder, Christ's side piercing spear, the six days' world transposing in an hour. A kind of tune, which all things hear and fear. Softness and peace and joy and love and bliss. Exalted manna, gladness of the best. Heaven in ordinary, man well-dressed. The Milky Way, the bird of paradise. Church bells beyond the stars heard. The soul's blood. The land of spices. Something understood. Thank you so much for listening. You can keep up with us on Facebook at facebook.com/close talking, or on Twitter at close talking. You can. Follow me and get in touch with me at Connor M. Stratton or Jack on Twitter at Jack rossiter You can also send us an email at closeTalkingPoetry at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if there's another reading you have of this poem we discussed or any other poem we've discussed or if there's a piece or work or poem that you'd like us to discuss in a future episode.